welcome to episode 34 of the Coach Fury podcast. Here's my dad. Thanks for the intro, kiddo. Everyone, it's Fury, and it's our first double-part, two-part episode of the Coach Fury podcast. Uh, we're bringing back Iron Tamer David Whitley for round two. Really excited to have this talk, in, and one of the things we talk about leads into the announcements for this episode. Dave and I talked about the importance of having a mastermind or a mentor people that you can learn from and bounce ideas off of and grow together. And it timed perfectly, Dave didn't realize this, with Strength Faction Enrollment. Strength Faction is a four-month trainer education development support group. Uh, We're a community of awesome individuals just looking to get better at all aspects of this coaching fitness business. So personal development, business development, programming, coaching, everything, right? And enrollment is happening now. So head on over to strengthfaction.com. The simple fact that you're listening to this podcast, and I get to tell people now, like when I tell people what I do, that I'm the creator of the Coach Fury podcast, it is 100% due to being a member in Strength Faction. I would not have done this show. had It uh, it would have been an idea that never got put into action. I also now, uh, as I'm running my own business as an independent trainer, uh, Fury Industries, I wouldn't have had all the skills without their help. I wouldn't have automatic billing happening without their help. So uh, aside from being a mentor and somebody that helps teach for them, please know uh, Strength Factions had a massive positive impact and you simply listening to me is a byproduct of that. So if you've been on the fence or you're unsure about what it is, uh, you can email me at coachfury at gmail.com or head on over to strengthfaction.com and sign up. You get a lot of bang for your buck, uh, well worth your money, well worth your investment on it. And who knows, if you're a new member, maybe I get to be your mentor in the group for your first phase. So check that out, strengthfaction.com. Some other courses coming up. I have to thank Tina and the crew at MSC Strength. We just did um, the DVRT four-hour workshop on Sunday, and it was an awesome time. Uh, Boston is full of awesome, strong people. Like, there's weird – there really is an amazing hub of coaches in, in that area. And I'm very excited to announce that on September 22nd and 23rd, we're bringing back DVRT level one and level two. So we're going to be having that going on and other courses coming up. Look next week. Well, this week, this weekend, I'm very excited to teach my second RKC two over at catalyst. And then we're keeping Austin pressing reset and weird at Dow health and fitness. Now there are still some spots for that. So that's Saturday, May 12th from eight to four at Dow health and fitness in Austin, Texas. Matt's got a really cool place. Um, it's going to be a fun event. We have some cool people, friends from the last course is going to be there. So, uh, come and check that out. And then original strength pressing reset comes to Connecticut, Guilford, Connecticut at my friend, James Newman's place quest fitness. That is Saturday, June 9th. That way I was able to negotiate Slayer the night before. And then Sunday, July 15th, the HKC comes to MFF Bowery. Very excited to teach that one. I haven't taught an HKC yet this year. What's up with that? What's up with that? And then more stuff filling in. The Tokyo RKC sold out, added spaces sold out again. We're looking to bring original strength back there. And the Die Mighty Workshop is in the works and is going to happen in October. So lots of cool stuff coming on, uh, coming around the corner, coming up this year. However you want to talk about dates and good things happening, that's all happening. If you're interested in taking classes with me, online coaching with me, um, personal training with me, catching up on episodes of the show, just go over to coachfury.com. All my information is there. And I'm going to ask for one last little favor. Look, if you dig this show, please take a moment to rate and review it, especially on the old iTunes. 
it holds a lot of weight. Uh, either way, I love you. I'm still just very uh, grateful for the show. We've crossed over 9,500 plays. So that's 900 and 9,480 more than I ever expected. And uh, just thank you all for listening to being a part of that. And thanks to Tamer for coming back on for another episode. There's uh, lots of good stuff in this one. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about Fury Fan Outs. Look, this show's coming out after I will have seen Avengers Infinity War. But and honestly, when I'm recording this, I have not seen it yet. I'm going to expect <laughs> that it's awesome. So I'm going to just say I'm fanning out on both the pre- and post-light, that is Avengers Infinity War, although my daughter is nervous that something sad is going to happen and likely will. She thinks someone's going to die. She thinks Thor's going to die. But we don't know. That's not a spoiler. That's just my daughter's predictions. We honestly, that is not a spoiler. So don't get mad at me. Um, and quite frankly, I've just been so busy gearing up for stuff. Um, I'm going to be teaching three weekends in a row coming up that... Uh, I haven't really been fanning out on too many independent things. I got caught, caught in a, a hoarding, buried alive, binge watch on Amazon Prime. And I found that show fascinating, not from the, ugh, look at how they're living, but from the, the, the psychological reasoning behind it and, and how, what emotional attachments were happening, emotional reactions uh, psychologically and physiologically were happening. So it was interesting looking at that show and then applying it to coaching, right? Um, and then the, the, Kim had tagged me on this 10 best list thing of like uh, your 10 best, most influential albums. And uh, I had a, a really good, difficult time picking out my 10 best albums. Then my old friend from high school, Pat Volkomer, was like, you didn't put Zeppelin on that. And I just want to be like, Pat, do you remember how much we used to fight about how I hate Led Zeppelin? I respect Led Zeppelin. I'm not the biggest fan. Anyway, shout out to Pat. Pat, I love you, brother. And everybody, that's enough of me rambling. That's enough of the stuff that's going on. That's enough of me fanning out. Iron Tamer, part two, coming at you. And what we were just talking about as we were catching up is, is Dave was talking about a mastermind he took. How, how, how long ago was this, Dave? Uh, the coaching program started, I want to say, in 2015, and it ran for a year with uh, Bob Proctor. Um, learned a tremendous amount from that. And there's a group of people that I got involved with, a mastermind group back then that we still have uh, – weekly scheduled calls and you know sometimes somebody may not be able to make it or we have to reschedule it or something but um running for almost three years now on um weekly calls where we get together and and present ideas and look for possible solutions that uh can only come from another person's point of view it's it's, it's a pretty powerful thing and I'm, I'm actually in two different mastermind groups that's one of them and um if you're not in a mastermind group, you are leaving something on the table, no matter what it is you're working on. Because, yeah. because when you put that collective uh, thought power together, it's 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 trite and cliched to say it, but uh, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I fully agree. There's a couple things. So, uh, listeners, what what I loved about when Dave and I were talking about this is is one of the things we can both attest to as people that teach courses and workshops is there's so much enthusiast enthusiasm for somebody to take a course, right? They get excited. What, you know, what are, it's a kettlebell cert, a movement restoration thing, whatever it might be. Um, and then often it's, it's once it's passed or cleared or, or credits are given or shirts obtained, it's really easy to sort of fall back on the practice uh, and, and not maintain. So when, when Dave was talking about how he's been having these weekly calls for three years, 
I just love that level of commitment. Now, it doesn't surprise me that, that that Iron Tamer would have a level of commitment, just in specifically in the types of things he does. But uh, I think there's a lesson there for all of us that it's not how many courses you do in a year; it's how well do you absorb and use them, process them, filter through them. Um, so that's that's a one to grow on, I think. And I have to remind myself that too, because I, I, I can fall pretty much in my wheelhouse of the things that I teach that I, I feel like I've gotten very good at. But mm-hmm. the outside stuff that I don't teach as often, I don't go back in and do it. Like my Indian club practice, which, Dave, you happen to be there at my first cert for that. that was I a have long to time active, ago. Yeah, man, that was 2011. Um, I have to go back in. And fortunately, it's part of my regular practice. But I have to treat that like a martial art. And I have to go in and work the skill to make sure I don't get like crazy sloppy with that stuff. Because I'm not teaching it in front of a group as often, or well, lately it's been forever. It's been years since I did the last one with, I think three years since I did the last one with Phil, Brett, and Dr. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you mentioned this mastermind, I'm just going to throw in, I, I, you know, I never realized the importance of masterminds. I never really fully, being this is a second industry to me, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know what that actually was until, you know, John Duquesne had done a, a mastermind, a marketing mastermind. And yep, I, was, I, I was at the very first one of those. I was at the second one. Damn, we missed each other by that much. Mm-hmm. Get smart reference. Uh, I just dated myself. Yes, um, you did. <laughs> which isn't shocking. I'm a Godzilla fan. Yeah, and um, I'm older than you, so there we are. <laughs> how much, though? Like like a couple of years, though. We're pretty close. I'm uh, um, 40. 70? No, I'm 69. I'm um, Today's the what, 24th or 25th. I noticed couple days ago whenever the 23rd was is my half birthday so i'm i'm 49 this year in november uh say well happy early 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 birthday i'm uh, i'll be 46 this year yeah. so we would we would have gone to school together um yeah. so the other thing is is like you know this need for mastermind and then as i got through i think it was through josh hankin initially a, a lot of the guys in the leadership team men and women in the leadership team were parts of uh you know the cosgroves and still are oh yeah oh yeah um, and then I think you had done with some of my friends and is it, N- I want to say NPR, but is that wrong? NPE. I was NPE. part of NPE for three years. Yeah. National public radio or something like that. I yeah, no, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, that was with Sean Greeley and uh, his group down in Orlando. I, when I was full time in a facility and that was my, my primary source of revenue for, you know, to, for making a living, I was in the VIP program with MPE and learned a ton of stuff from that. Um, I got out of it when I no longer was running a gym as my primary thing. Yeah, and um, it, for 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 me, it's been since I I became the, a member and now a mentor in the Strength Faction Group. I don't right. know if you're familiar with those cats, uh, folks. Early bird, well, early bird registration will be over by the time this podcast goes out, but registration's open. Um, I went into that program. We're, we're a strength education. We don't call ourselves a mastermind per se, but, but it is one of these things where we focus on all aspects of business and coaching and programming. Mm-hmm. And I went in just to have some workout accountability. And this podcast literally exists because of it. Nice. I have my first rounds as an independent trainer of, you know, auto billing, auto renewing payments, largely because of strength faction and, uh, you know, my time with uh, MFF, Mark Fisher Fitness and Business for Unicorn. So I, I can't stress, if you are a trainer or a business owner or want to open a business, I think Dave can back this up. It can be real lonely. Like you could have all these friends, but running your own business, especially if you're a self-employed, self-starter, self-owner, so much falls on you. And you never know if you're doing it right or wrong until something wrong really hits. 
Well, and, and, and I think that a lot of, I've seen a lot of folks come through various uh, physical training certifications and they go off and they try to do their own thing. And they, for whatever reason, think that they don't need mentorship or they don't need a group to bounce ideas off of. Um, and, and I'm a fan of that sense of self-reliance and, 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 you know, earning your living and all that. But at the same time, I'm a huge fan of don't make anything harder than it has to be. So don't try to figure out stuff that'll take you a year to do when you can just drop a couple thousand dollars on it. And then you've got this entire template there and you can just plug your information in. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly arrogant to try to figure it out for yourself, in my opinion. And ultimately, um, I think that it has to do with the reason that certain types of exercise are so popular is that it comes back to the idea that somehow if I work harder, if I remain more stressed out, if I wear the lack of sleep in my life and my busyness as some sort of badge of honor, then that means I'm successful. When ultimately what it means is, did your business earn money? Are your clients happy? Yeah, uh, that's also part of this whole idea, and I fall into this category too. Is is you know I, I don't mean this as a slam against Gary Vaynerchuk, but that never-ending hustle. What's it like? Like the hours between like uh, it, you know eight and five a.m. Yeah, like like it, it, it's yes. There's a lot of work that goes into what we do. There's uh-huh. more aspects to it than I think most people realize that might have a more traditional job. Like we're not mm-hmm. just in sessions. Like you know, there's there's the whole social media aspect. There's, yeah the coursework there's the business there's the promotion there's the advertising like it's a fully functioning rounded complete every trainer essentially is it's your your own entity your own brand sure. no matter where you work for and that idea of the never-ending hustle it is you know on one hand and, and, and you know I've, I've made a good amount of money off of it as an independent trainer i mean not a lot but like enough to uh, pays my rent is yeah, it sounds great. This digital hustle for the first time ever, we have these abilities to be online working with people around the world without needing a brick and mortar. That mm-hmm. said, if you have kids, if you have family, if you like to do things outside of being on the computer or training sessions, that never ending hustle never ends. You, you need to be able to take <laughs> off of it. And you know, even you know, even Gary V will say, Look, if you want to spend more time with your family, you just have to adjust your goals around spending more time with your family. And I feel like that's been sure. one of the, the biggest struggles for me is every time I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm chasing opportunities and I'm making the most out of it. I love teaching, uh, you know, being at the, the, the window that I was at Mark Fisher Fitness and I'll, I'll say 2016 in particular was, you know, I had MFF. I was doing my independent work at Catalyst Sport, which is like another family to me. Mm -hmm. I was doing Mm -hmm. my work at home at Fury Industries. And I taught more workshops than I ever had that year. Mm -hmm. And it is more workshops than I ever will again, because at the end Mm -hmm. of the year, my family, my, my, well, Kim's my wife now, and my kids were like, where were you? Right. And I think like that hustle is real attractive. We start to be like, oh, we're all in that. Like we're all struggling. And, And to a degree we are, but do we have to struggle that much? Is that poor life management? Is that poor business development? We can all run sessions. And I love that you brought that up. It, it, it's just like training, right? Mm-hmm. Run your business smarter, not harder. And Absolutely. fill the gaps. So yeah, every, but, but that said, every time I try to make more time for the family, you know, my business goes through a massive overhaul. So there's always uh-huh. a big sort of financial dip. And then there's the buildup. And finally, I think I'm in that sweet spot where if I can continue to grow it where it's at, I think I finally found like my, my happy place. And, and let me ask you, so you, 
you had given up your location, closed, mm-hmm. closed. And so what is your business model now and how's that been treating you? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go to that, but I want to say this before I forget. Um, everything that we were just talking about is sort of framed around the idea that effort equals results. Mm-hmm. And that the more effort you put into something, the better your results are going to be. And that's just not true. It's just simply not true, no matter what you're doing. Um, if, you, if, if you try to do that with your physical training, um, then why not uh, just take off three months from work, lift really heavy weights 18 or 19 hours a day, and in three months you'll be Mr. Olympia or world champion powerlifter, right? Because yeah. you put all the effort in. And you put it all in fast. It just the um, was it Francis Bacon that said nature to be commanded must first be obeyed. And there's a there's a law at work there, and the effort does not produce results. Consistency produces results. And I'll take I'll take I'll take the person who is consistently doing some form of exercise, twenty minutes a day, three days a week for a year, versus the person who does two hours a day for two weeks. I love it. And I, t- I tell that to my, my, the Fury crew all the time. I, I don't care if you feel you had the best or worst class, right? Like I want you to you come out and join mm-hmm. your class. But what I want you to have is a lot of classes. And I don't mean that yes. from a financial standpoint. Like, you know, some people set their expectation. Like, you know, I could only swing this much today or squat mm-hmm. this much today. Or I did, mm-hmm. you know, heavier last week. And it's like, well, it's, it's the fact that you keep coming back. That's where the results are. And, Absolutely. and business is like that. It's like the stock market. You know that the stock market's going to dip. It's yeah. going to dip. But in the long term, mm-hmm. you know, things generally tend to work out. Not all the time. Sorry, 2008 hit for everybody. But, uh, yeah, but- it is that long game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the question you asked me was about what my business looks like now. Um, and for the longest time, or not the longest time, but for, for several years, um, my wife and I lived very near downtown Nashville, maybe 10 or 15 minutes away from downtown Nashville. And from 2010 until 2015 or 16, maybe 2016, I had a location that I ran that was near downtown Nashville, and that was Nashville Kettlebell. And we had a lot of fun there. A lot of great people came through. Um, had a great time, hosted some amazing workshops and, and guest instructors coming in doing some fantastic things there. It was great. Then my wife and I, both of us coming from the country, decided that we didn't want to live in a subdivision anymore. We didn't want to live in a suburb. So we started looking for a place to live that was further out in the country. We moved about a half an hour south of downtown Nashville. And that's if traffic is good, which it rarely ever is. Uh-huh. Um, in Nashville. And so what was once a 10 minute drive to the gym became a 30 to 45 minute drive to the gym, which meant that if I had to be there early in the morning and then also in the afternoon, I I was out an hour and a half of my day if I came home and went back. And so um, that was the only reason that I let that place go, um, that location. Um, So I moved from that location into another location that is about halfway between where I live and where that old location was in a place called Cool Springs, Tennessee. And I still run a very small um, training facility there, but my emphasis is not on building that facility up to where I have a bunch of staff and I'm sitting back being the guy in charge of the business, the way most business um, coaching models would have you do. And that's, that's a valid approach and it's, it works great. And if that's the thing that you're into, then, then by all means do it. Um, at about 
about the time that we moved down here, I decided that I wanted the focus of my business to be performing as a strongman and speaking. And so I started learning more about um, that particular business, the, the getting on stage, strictly corporate stuff, because that seemed to be the place that I could make a really good impact and also earn a, a comfortable living doing it. And that is currently the primary focus of what I do. Where I used to have a gym, now my primary focus is contacting events, getting on stages, and um, sharing the message that I have that I, I speak about uh, that is also in, in the book Superhuman You. It's kind of the basis of, of all of that. Um, so main source that I'm looking at is that. And then my secondary stuff is training people in the gym, doing workshops in the gym. I usually do two or three Wim Hof method workshops a year out of my gym, and then I'll travel and do a few more. And we'll talk more about Wim Hof later on. Um, I might do a couple of other workshops there. I've had Adam Glass come out a few times and we've done workshops together at the gym. Um, and then a couple of times a year, I will run an amazing 12 uh, physique transformation program out of there, which is Paul McElroy's brainchild uh, out of Belfast. And um, we can talk more about that as we go along with this too. Sure. I'm just kind of giving the overview of what does the business look like. And of course I, I, I have um, a select group of a few people that I train as online clients. Um, and that is a very broad spectrum of um, service availability, pretty much anything that myself or anyone else deems that I am knowledgeable or expert in and it's it's a few things but you know i'm not trying to be a, the best in the world with everything but there are a few things that i am um quite good at what i do uh not to sound arrogant or anything but you know i've put the work in so yeah, uh, completely so so working with online clients um either in terms of um getting stronger and improving body composition working with them on feats of strength specifically so that they can learn how to do some of the stuff that myself and other strong men do. Um, and I also have a few people that I work with that aren't really interested in the physical aspect of stuff or in body transformation or anything like that. They're interested in um, how I go about creating my life and how they can use the same principles that, that myself and lots of other people do to successfully achieve goals that they set for themselves that may not have any, anything at all to do specifically with something that I even know about. Like I've worked with people who are in businesses that I know nothing about, but I understand human behavior and I understand how, you know, the energetic laws of the universe, if you want to get a little esoteric about it. And, and people, can, people can deny the existence of these laws, but they still are subject to the existence laws. Like I can swear up and down all day that there's no such thing as gravity, but if I jump off the top of the house gravity is going to um, teach me a lesson about itself. Yeah. So, I, I, um, I, that was kind of a, that was kind of a tan tangential ramble, but that's where I am. No, it's really interesting. I didn't realize that you, you, you still had a physical space. I wasn't sure if you were running out mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, I, I, I've seen the growth as a, as a, as a speaker and a presenter, um, a few things to unpack mm -hmm. on that one. So, yeah, I think one of the interesting things, and, and I think I talked about this maybe a couple episodes ago. So, you know, I'm a former visual effects executive producer. That was, that was my career before I found the uh -huh. career of, of fitness and strength and trying to share that. And one of the mm -hmm. things that's been interesting, and I think I've actually 
sold some people short is in fitness, suddenly I had people like suggesting books, right? Not just fitness books, but like, you know, right. uh, uh, communication books, um, uh, organizational books, you know, uh, motivational is clearly there, but really mm-hmm. sort of finding the commonalities and the approaches, right. Between mm-hmm. everybody, you know, you mentioned on the first episode, how you find the links, right. You find the patterns of things. Right. And it was interesting that I, you know, I started wondering now that I've spent this much time you know, working with people, leading groups of people is also another thing I never would have expected to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to, com- you know, uh, I don't, command sounds harsh, but literally we're commanding a room that there is a skill within presenting to a room Sure. and how that would apply in my old field of visual effects. And, you know, I'm, I'm back in a little bit as an, uh, as, as, as a consultant slash executive producer with a friend of mine and the books, you know, how you mentioned these fields that have nothing to do with fitness, running a good business and good, being a good listener, being a good communicator, it doesn't matter what business you're in. You know, the, the, nope. the, the specific comes in like, okay, this is a kettlebell, this is a barbell, this is a hinge, this is a squat. Mm-hmm. But, but meeting somebody and having that, con- you know, getting to know somebody and letting them know, letting them know you're there for them, it, it's, that's something that we should be applying across the board. And it, it, I didn't realize that in the connections until about a year ago, that like right. all of these things that we're working on to help our clients, to help our members, um, you know, attendees are all valid skills across the board. And, sure. you know, the, the, you know, we talked about the hustle, the branding aspect of what we do, you know, it's not fitness branders. It's not like Jocko Will, Will, Willick, I pronounced that right, Jocko in extreme ownership. Like that is not a fitness book, but it applies to fitness businesses. Um, you know, there's just, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan holiday, you know, obstacles, the way ego is the enemy. These things, they carry over. And I think sometimes we sell ourselves short that we haven't pulled all of these skills together because we focus right. so much on the person versus it is a bigger umbrella that we're preparing. Like we're, 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 we're creating some really bigger scale life skills, than just running that fitness business. And I, I love that you, you, you brought that up. I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, the, the strongman stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember you actually went over this a little bit at, at, at my first RKC two is the ability of the preparedness that like, A, how do you sort of, what's a regular training session for like a feat? Like I saw today, you <laughs> said, uh, I'm forgetting the weight of the hammer, but you had an overhead with a beast and a super heavy looking hammer. And uh, you did, what was it, a wrist lever with it? Yeah. Like, how do you train for something like that? Is that most of your training? And then being prepared, like, cause you can't really warm up before an event. Like, how does that, how does that practice go into, into play? I love this line of questioning. I'm here for so you. Much. I love that I love you love it. this line of questioning. Yes. I'm having a moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the feat that, I, that you're talking about, I posted, it was a 48 kilo kettlebell um, from Kettlebell Kings. I got some competition style bells from them and I've never owned the competition style bell until recently. And they're uh, um, I wish that I had paid attention years ago when someone told me that competition kettlebells were awesome um, because just the, the, the fact that they're the same size and shape, but they weigh differently. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It's like having, you know, if you get somebody coming into the gym and they're very old or they're very young or, or, or they're, you know, very detrained or they're recovering from an injury, you're going to teach them how to barbell deadlift and you have 10 pound bumper plates and you can have them deadlift 65 pounds with the same body mechanics that someone would have at, you know, 135 or, you know, 500 or whatever, 
that's a really cool thing to be able to solidify the technique that way. Um, and yeah. that's the, that's the rationale behind the the competition kettlebell. So I'm very pleased with those. And, if I um, can hop in on that too, real quick, yeah, uh, it is also on the bigger end. You know, the the, the trick with mm-hmm. doing things with bigger bells, forty, you know, even forty four and up, is that pressure on the forearm, even if it's conditioned, is pretty severe. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know how heavy comp bells get. But I've had limited use of them. I've, I've, I've taught a couple of certs where that was like, you know, somebody just happened to have a bunch of them that we ended up mm-hmm. using. And I found that as a really appealing aspect. So suddenly, you know, you're not getting that same level of dig once things get really yep. big. Yeah. And um, the heaviest comp bells that I've seen are at 48 kilos. And I agree with you completely on that. I've got a couple of others. I've got one that's, um, these are cast and they're bigger. Um, one's a 68 kilo and one's an 80 kilo. And I actually successfully bent pressed and stood up with the 80 kilo once and didn't get it on video, but I don't really have any interest in trying it again because (laughs) just um, not that it's that at 80 kilos is that tremendous amount of weight for, for a guy my size to bent press, but the holding it in the rack position, the, the center of the forearm is right where the edge of the, the, sphere of the kettlebell hits and it felt a lot like someone had suspended my wrist and my elbow on blocks and was was jumping up and down on the center of my forearm like that pressure was trying to bend my radius and my humerus in a direction that that it shouldn't go and so um yeah there's definitely something to the comfort of having the technique be the same and the size of the kettlebell be the same and all that but um, yeah anyway I, I did that to myself actually the first time i can't remember i think it was a 52 the first time I saw a 52 was in Albany at an OS course and I was assisting Tim. It was the second one. And yeah. I, I was actually, I was trying bent presses cause I, I knew uh-huh. I had the press and you know, I probably only tried, I got close. I didn't pull it off. Um, bent press has never been one of my, one of my, my best lifts. Um, I got a book you should read. I have it. I, was, <laughs> I, 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 I have it. And uh, I was part of your alpha, your beta program. I know. I know. For the workout. Um, but I was trying it and trying it. So maybe out of like eight tries, right. Per side. Right. I had like a, a bone bruise basically mm-hmm. at that point of contact for about mm-hmm. three weeks. Like yep. I couldn't rack like, like, like a 24. It was just like searing pain in my forearms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lost thing. You, you know, we take for granted sometimes when people are like, oh, my forearms hurt with kettlebells. Like it's all relative to where you're yeah. going into it. So if you and I are used to like 32 and up, you know, then it hits at like 44, 48 and up. For right. Coming in, it might be a 12K feels that yep. dramatically, you know. So just uh, coaches out there using kettlebells, uh, you know, show them some love. And you know what? Outside of Certland, sweatbands around the wrists uh, and absolutely yeah absolutely and you know what else is okay gloves yes <laughs> well i'm gonna say this <laughs> not all the time so we had an interesting thing at mff where we made a no glove rule because the uh-huh. slips the hand slips uh-huh. where, where bells flew were usually on average coming when more often way more often when someone had no gloves not that there were a lot right right but you know the, the other flip switch on that is 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 if, if your hands are tearing yes if you have yeah. like a medical condition where some people's hands look, I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself if you're one of these people, but some people just have gross, overly sweaty hands when, that's when true. fitness. That's true. Um, then that's a thing. Yeah. To, you to, do want to, proprioceptive feedback on average. But again, yeah. It's 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 like one of these things, um it's it's more about the, the safety aspect than the the 
the be strong aspect of it. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and to qualify that for myself, there's been multiple occasions, um, in the gyms that I've, that I've run into uh, when I've had people coming in regularly, typically these were women and typically they, they lived in a world where they had to have a certain appearance for their job or, or that kind of thing. And they didn't want to have rough, um, calloused hands and they didn't want to have bruises on their forearms when they went to work and then have to explain it. Like, like what happened to your forearm? And then, you know, somebody's calling the cops on their, their partner because they're beating them up and bruising them or whatever. They didn't want to deal with that. So they're coming in to see me 20 or 30 minutes, three times a week. Go ahead and wear gloves. I'm fine with that. <laughs> totally. I'm with like that with shoes now too. I mean, I want people to be yeah. animal footwear or barefoot, but if you're coming in and you're new to training and this is already mm-hmm. like a, a, a scary, weird, you know, apprehensive uh, situation to be in, especially as you're new, you know, I might mm-hmm. say like, I'm, I'm going to like, you know, if, Hey, if you're comfortable, you can go and, you know, I'm not a big fan of socks unless I, uh, you know, I wear the pedestal socks that have the grip on them, but you mm-hmm. know, I'll suggest some shoes, but if they don't feel comfortable with that, you know, okay, you know, do your thing. I'll bring it up again. If I see that, like, you know, they have some cushy shoes that are having an impact, right? Certain things, right. Like deadlift, you're going to be fine for the most part. Swings, you might go a little off balance, but when you get into like lunges and split squats, it's usually when people start, you start to see the ankle shakes, right? They're trying yeah. to stabilize. And I'm like, suggest yeah. like, and then they have that buy-in of like, Oh, but to, you know, be so hardline that someone who's like kind of like, A, investing m- their money and time in you, and all, B, we all know that there's a level of fear involved in the beginning. Yep. It's like, man, let, let, let them be comfortable. You know, just, just let, let them have yep. that. You, they're already giving up so much that they're mm-hmm. probably concerned about. Let them have that. And then, you know, you build the trust level and you'd be like, hey, I think you might be able to do a little better, feel stronger. And then it's easier to get well, by. But that in the door thing, it's like, guys, we got to lighten up. Yep. And, and where we are right now in this conversation, if, if anybody's listening and they're, they want to be a, an extremely successful coach and help a lot of people and do well with it, the keys to the kingdom are on the table right here. And what we're saying summarized is when your client comes in, meet them where they are and show them how to get where they want to be. Yep. Everything else, everything else is commentary. Yeah. If you keep those, those two things at the forefront. Um, but anyway, to circle it back around, uh, the video that you're talking about, um, um, push press with a 48 kilo and the leverage lift was with a hammer that I got from Ryan Pitts at strongergrip.com. Um, it's loaded to about 16 pounds on a 30 inch shaft, which means that if you do the math on that, it takes about 480 pounds of, uh, torque at the wrist to do that particular leverage lift where I'm holding um, arm parallel to the ground, out away from my body, hammer's vertical, and I lower the hammer just by moving my wrist until it basically touches the forehead and then take it back up. Doing that with as straight an arm as possible and without letting the arm drop below parallel or go above parallel on the ground, all while supporting a 48 kilo with the other hand overhead. That particular feat, um, you know, I'm, I, I enjoy pressing. I enjoy levering hammers. And one day I thought, what if I can put the two of them together? Because I had never seen another strong man do that. As far as I know, it's not something that's been um, certainly not popularized by any other strong man. So it's kind of a, I don't want to call it an original feat, but I think it's an original arrangement of movements that nice. um, is kind of a signature feat for me. So, um, yeah, I did that. But the question was, how do I train, I think? Am I, is, yeah, is that, yeah. is that uh, accurate? Uh, 
I'm interested in, in in the training prep for that, and also how you go about not having the warm up. You know, uh, you know, when you when you go on stage, you got to do something relatively, you know, well above average. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not PR land, personal best land for you, but but mm-hmm. still, like, you got to be able to do it relatively cold. Yeah, yeah. Well, early on in my my playing around with this sort of stuff and learning how to do feats of strength. Um, Slim the Hammerman, who's just a complete and utter legend, and we could probably do five shows just talking about him, but we're not going to. He told me, looked me in the eye, and said, if you ever fail on stage, you're going to have to answer to me. Wow. I'm like, I don't, e- I don't even know you, you know. And so, so the initial thought there is like, wow, you really have to just like, go all in and be, you know, put all that effort into it and, you know, go hard or go home and all that. But really what, where that, where that winds up taking us is if you're going to go in front of a group of people, they're not there to see you fail. They're there to see you succeed at whatever feat you're doing. So make sure that it's something that you can do. Now, if you want to like, you know, test your strength and set PRs and all that in the gym and training, it's the time to do that. If you happen to catch it on video, then that's great. Um, or if you don't, like I did with that, uh, that bent press, that's mm-hmm. fine too. Um, but when I go and I do a show, I keep everything. If we're going to, on a scale of one to 10, of you know, the RPE scale, the rate of perceived effort, you'll never see me do anything in a show that is above about an eight and a half because I am far more concerned with successfully doing the feat making it look interesting to the observer and most importantly, have that feet support whatever it is I'm talking about. And if I go and I, you know, hit, hit a 95% of, of whatever I'm capable of on any given feet. And then I immediately have to start talking again with the same level of command of my voice and ability to express myself verbally as I have right now sitting in this chair with headphones on. I can't be pushing myself into red line physically and then go back and talk. Cause that's, that's a, um, an unspoken about largely, um, part of, um, of being a strong man, particularly if you're going to speak while you're do- doing it is it's awesome to go up there and, and do a bunch of really difficult beats, but can you do it and be able to still talk to people and communicate to people while you're doing it? So, um, as far as addressing the warm up and being ready anytime, um, I think last time we were talking, you were talking about um, some days uh, a 44 goes up pretty easy in a military press and some days it doesn't go at all for you, right? Yeah. Can you say something? Okay. Yeah. So, so if I said to you, I need you to roll out of bed before you have your coffee, walk over to a 32 kilo kettlebell and clean and press it with each hand, could you do it? Yeah. Okay, if we work out the percentages of that, 32 is about 80% of 44, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, then. So um, things that I do in the show, like bending a 60-penny nail, ripping um, the deck of cards the particular way that I do it, um, any of the longer steel that you see, pretty much anything that I do, falls into that area between 70 and 85%. I can't go up there and do something that is so ridiculously easy for me that people are like, well, 
that was no big deal. You know, yeah. there has to be a visible amount of strength displayed. But you know, if, if I if I'm if I called you up and said the the mighty coach Fury is now going to press a 32 kilo kettlebell, you wouldn't have the first bit of doubt in your mind that you're just going to walk up to it and press it, even if you're you know had had two hours of sleep the night before and and had to be on a plane and your Uber ride from the airport took a long time and you didn't have time to eat breakfast that morning, you know, <laughs> Cause, cause, I, I can and, and probably have done that drunk. <laughs> cause yeah. Cause, cause those are things that happen when you have to speak in front of a group of people for a living, you know, you, there's, there's ideal. And then there's what actually happens. And you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing that happens when we're teaching workshops and certifications, you know, um, you, if you're going to demonstrate something, you don't want to demonstrate something that's right on the edge of your ability. And then you have to take two or three minutes to recover before you can resume the, the teaching and answer the questions from the students, you know? Yeah. The um, other thing is the purpose. You're in a position where, you know, say, say it was a 90% max effort, right? Like mm-hmm. in powerlifting land, you will have changed, trained three months basically for that. Right. Uh-huh. And then you're going to deload and take some time off. Well, you might have a show the same day, the next day, mm-hmm. Yep. You might have five shows that week. Yep. So you have to be, you, you can't be hitting PRs. That makes total sense. I didn't even think mm-hmm. of the frequency at, at, at the onset of that question. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how are you going about? Um, I mean, is there a level of periodization when you're training at home building towards the feats? How is that? Is it just more like skill practice? You know, that's a little bit more free forming how you're feeling that day? Some combination of all of that actually plays a part in, in the way I approach my training. Um, it, if I decide that I'm going to do a particular specific goal, for example, last year, I, I set two physical goals for myself early in the year that I wanted to accomplish. One was smashing a coconut, um, with a, with a hammer fist. And the second one was bending this particular bar that has the nickname Goliath. And that the Goliath bar was named by a guy named Eric Vining, who's one of the best steel benders of all time. But he does it, um, he does it as a hobby and as a, a he, he scrolls steel as an art form, but his day job has nothing to do with bending steel. So he'll do shows sometimes, but he's not like a professional, I earn my living strong man. He's a very strong guy though. But he he nicknamed it Goliath and the bar is four feet long, half an inch thick and inch and a half wide flat steel, which it, you have to like see one and hold it in your hands to fully appreciate it because it probably weighs nine or 10 pounds. Is, is that what I used on your first announce picture? Is Is that the bar? There's a picture of you holding one up, and it seems like... Yes, 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 that is Goliath, yeah. For for anybody listening, if you go to my Facebook page or the Coach Fury podcast Instagram page, the announce pick for the first episode with Dave has him holding that bar, the Goliath, and it looks gnarly. And if anybody wants to see Goliath actually get bent, if you just go on YouTube and search Iron Tamer Goliath Bar Bend... It should pop up. It's about five or six minutes long, I think. And it was uh, it was one of those days that I felt pretty good. And, and I decided I was going to give it an attempt. I'd been training for it. And I thought, I'll turn the camera on just in case because I don't want to have another situation where I do it and don't document it. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look closely, you can see a look of surprise on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and also... 
Also, there's there's a point in there where I come up with a particular technique that makes sense that I had never thought of using in this particular thing before. So it was very definitely a, a PR and a first time hitting that PR. Um, oh, I've only, awesome. um, but uh, all that to say, when I was training for that, what I did was um, working my way backwards. How can I progress forwards to it? You know, so um, what does the end look like? And what does the, the bridge from here to there, how does that play out? So I thought, okay, I can bend four feet by half inch thick by one inch wide, which is, if you run the numbers on that, literally two thirds of the target, right? Because mm-hmm. one and a half inches versus one inch. And I could bend that fairly easily. It was probably uh, an 80 or 85% um, feel for me in terms of, of how much effort I was putting into it. So I started working that being the top of what I would do on any given day. Nothing any harder than half inch by one at four feet. So um, over the course of a few months, that got to be pretty easy for me. And what I did then is I'm like, okay, how can I progress in that direction? So I started looking at the shape of the steel and how I could create a progression inside of that and the idea that well if there's less available steel then there will be less resistance but i also at the same time want to mimic the conditions of the target as much as i possibly can too so what i wound up doing is i took half inch round steel and taped three pieces of it together so now it's an inch and a half wide and a half inch thick but those round pieces have enabled it like if if you put three circles next to each other and a rectangle that is the same dimension as those circles there's less total area there mm-hmm. is that making sense without the visual yeah I, I think so okay so i tried three round pieces taped together and it was a a little bit harder than the half inch was uh, the, the the flat the, the one inch by half inch flat so I'm like, okay, this is, this is the new 85. And so I would let that be my top, top set. And, and so I would cycle through that. And then um, at one point, I took a piece of half-inch flat and a piece of half-inch round, uh, a half-inch by one flat and half-inch round, which is in between those two sizes in terms of total volume of steel there. And if, if, I, if I could, like, draw a diagram, this would make instant sense to anyone who was looking at it just verbally explaining it you have to kind of call on your imagination to to picture what i'm saying but um all that to say it's a a a detailed explanation of how could i figure out how to bend a piece of steel that i couldn't bend by mimicking the conditions of it with something that i could bend that's awesome And, and um i do that with um with short bending as well. I've got a guy that I've um, been working with for several months online and he's not in the States. He's over in the UK. And so some of the sizes of steel that I would use that would be in in between sizes. um, It's a lot like what we were talking about last time of how, um, how do you jump from 24 kilos to 32 kilos if you don't have the in between sizes? Well, you have to figure out ways to make the 24 heavier and the 32 lighter. Yep. And so, like, one of the things that, I, that I've done with this guy is we just take a piece of steel, uh, six inches long, and I think he was working on quarter-inch thick, and 
Okay, just take a hacksaw or a file and cut a little groove into it that is perpendicular to the, uh, the length of the bar. And so you just cut a little groove into it. What, what you've done there is you've made that tiny little spot a little bit smaller diameter and the rest of it is still the same diameter. And so it makes it easier because you've removed some of the resistance. You're literally taking weight off the bar. Yeah, I was going to say you're, incre- you're, you're finding ways of incrementally loading and playing with dimension uh-huh. as well at the same time. It's, yep. it's weird. It's, it's very in line with actually like to some degrees DVR, DVRT ultimate sandbag training where we're, we're looking at ways to modify the intent of load without actually changing the load per se. Sure, um, sure. See, everybody, it all comes around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can apply these things. Well, and, and like, like, for example, if we were, we were going to make that jump from 24 to 32 and you can press 24 several times and you can't do 32, doesn't it make sense to do like a seated, like a Z press or a half kneeling press with the 24? Because now that makes that weight more difficult. I fully agree. Yeah. So it's, it's the same idea. It's exactly the same idea. That's awesome. I have to say, this is a this is a win between. So you know, I, I train between between our conversations, and you know, I get to see uh, Kathy Dooley's husband start sessions on. Yes. Um, uh, Jonathan Fernandez is like yes, just an insane level grip strength guy. He's strong. And He's very uh, strong. I, I get to see him start his sessions with somebody as I'm wrapping up a session sometimes. And oh, cool. Seeing his excitement just in talking with this client and then talking with you about this, like mm-hmm. you've shown me how to like bend some nails and stuff. And you know, a couple of times that we were together, but we've never had like a session. I've never gone to a workshop and mm-hmm. you know, now I'm kind of pumped on it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I think that's a win just in, just in chatting these two conversations. Uh, I'm like, man, eh, I got to go revisit this. I mean, I, yeah. I got my, uh, you know, I, I, you know, through iron mind, I got my bag of nails and some wraps mm-hmm. and, I got through all the ones that I could do, and then I stalled. And then you stopped. <laughs> I, like, I got hard, and I stopped. And admittedly, you know, I was like, wow, I'm going through a lot of, like, nails and stuff. Uh, uh-huh. But it is a different skill. And, you know, it's funny. I'm like, I'm going to read my own advice that I said at the beginning of this podcast, how we talked about follow-through. I think I'm going to order some some stuff and um, spend a little more time trying to get back into it. Because, like, I've never had, like – deck of card gripping strength that's never uh-huh. something i've had i've been like you know pressing came pretty naturally to me mm-hmm. uh most of kettlebell land came fairly natural to me with the exception of um it took me a while to groove in my jerks and the bent press is still one like i have it it's just i have to work on that to get that little right. show shape that's one that's just it's not like here it is um yeah and well, the, the 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 bent press for me i sort of wound up being um quote unquote the bent press guy accidentally because when I first learned how to do it, it came incredibly naturally and easily the movement did on my right side. And on my left side, I, I was a monkey humping a doorknob like everybody else. <laughs> and so so I literally had to figure out what my right side was doing that my left side didn't know and teach my left side to do it. And so that was the the genesis of me figuring out how to take the bent press from from this, this nebulous thing that maybe you'll never be able to do. And you haven't, God, I hate this statement. You haven't earned the right to do that movement yet because your body's not ready and all that sort of, I, I take, I'll take somebody off the street and within two hours, I will have them doing a, a, a bent press that looks good. It may not be super heavy, but it'll look good. Um, if they're, you know, healthy in every other, in every other way. 
And it's, it's not because I'm such a genius or anything like that. It's because I stopped thinking that it was, that the movement itself was difficult. I changed my perception. Just like we were talking about last week. Um, I stopped thinking 48 kilos was heavy and then suddenly I was stronger. Yes, that's true. And, and you know, the interesting thing for me with the bench press, so like I've, I've got an RKC two, I'm going to be teaching in about a week and a half. Awesome. And, you know, so I'm working up for my, you know, my bench press for that. And my shoulders are very asymmetrical in a way. It's like, not like a horrible FMS score type of deal, but I've had surgery on one. And then the other one is, you know, maybe down the line, something will happen. I'm not in pain or anything, but my mobility my, my, my groove of, I should say, in a cleaner way, the groove of the bench mm-hmm. is different per side. It definitely comes way more natural on my right. And, you know, mm-hmm. it is the move that, and, and we actually talked about this off, off the record, after the podcast, last one. There, there's so many ways to do a bent press. And when we mm-hmm. get into curriculum and we get into rules, uh, you know, I've had several friends, you know, be like, that's not a bent press. That's not a bent press on people posting videos. And quite frankly, there's so many sure. ways do a bench press because ultimately it is you know get the bell in the rack position you know there's a setup for mm-hmm. it but it's go underneath mm-hmm. the bell to lock out and stand back up and yeah. some people hinge more some people squat more we were talking how some people have in the middle now i'm very much so a squatter mm-hmm. but it is one of those moves like when you mention your body being healthy for it it requires a good amount of mobility you know mm-hmm. and my shoulders have taken a lot of hits training hasn't mm-hmm. hurt my shoulders like falling on skateboards and bmx bikes has done a lot to me Right. And, you know, that's right. the thing with it. And, and that's where I think this is one where you could probably say in a way, earn it because there's a level of preparation on a mobility standpoint you have to have, or it's just not going to happen. Well, and, but my experience in working with dozens, if not hundreds of people on the bent press is that the flaw in, in my thinking was that, okay, you don't have the requisite mobility to do this this lift let's abandon the lift for a while and go work on your mobility and then come back and see if you can do it when i switched my thinking to how can i use this lift to help you get the mobility that you need to do the lift it's true that was when the learning curve went from months to hours on on being able to teach people how to how to do the bent press because the bent press contains everything that you need to be able to access those positions if you approach it intelligently and if you know what you're looking for. Yeah. It, it's, it's, and, and what would you say? I have my ideas on it. So like as a pre-qualifier, I would say three things and you might need less. If you could do a windmill, if you could do a goblet squat and you could do a get up, you should be able to do a bent press. Would you say that's a, a, a pretty fair assessment? Mm, my initial reaction is, yeah, all those things live inside the bent press. Yeah. Right, um, like to, just to, a- to to one degree or the other, but um, um, I I am much more of the of the of the frame of mind that can I just get you to do a bent press? And where are you getting hung up? Okay, let's let's just unblock whatever's there, or let's adjust whatever needs to be adjusted there. Because because for me, in my experience, it's been so so much less people don't have the mobility. And so much more people have the mobility. It's just they don't have the sequencing of how to put all those pieces together the right way. That's and true. so, and so, if you if you take a puzzle piece that doesn't belong in a particular place and try to jam it in there, you mess up the whole puzzle. 
That's very true. The timing is a tricky one. I mean, you know, I'd say, you know, the, the most common things you'll see is, you know, people start to hinge under and, and mm-hmm. the bell's following them down and they, mm-hmm. they, they end up with their, or they run out of room and get that nice rounded uh, yeah. curve, curve spine. Uh, as you mm-hmm. told me at the summit of strength, I think I mentioned this last time, like <laughs> a whole lot of flexion, let's load that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or there's always that, like if they bring it down and then they, they press it out. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say for somebody, if for somebody that's like 90% of the way there, and I know this is a huge, it depends, but for those people that get caught pressing the bell out, right? Mm-hmm. Say it's that last, you know, and again, if it's for everybody listening, if you're pressing a little bit at the bottom end, because you've run out of room, like I'm going to say, I'm okay with that. I also, mm-hmm. I'm not like a super hardline dogma guy, but some people it's kind of becomes like a press and a hinge at the same time versus mm-hmm. which isn't what it is. Is, is, is there, is there a, a tip you would give? I mean, this is freaking hard on a podcast um, where there's no visual uh, of how to avoid pressing out as opposed to getting under. Yes, there is. And I'll do my best to explain it without drawing a picture. Because if, if I can draw a picture or demonstrate this, then, then the visual that goes along with it makes it click almost immediately for most people. And I tell you what, if anybody hears this and they're like, I kind of follow you, but I really need the visual. If they'll email you or me or make a Facebook post or something, then I'll go back and I'll shoot a little bit of video. Can I put you on the spot, Dave? I thought you already did. I was about to like divulge the secrets of the bent press, but yeah, go ahead. Let, put me on the spot. Let's do that actually. Can you shoot that? And we'll put that on the Coach Fury page. We'll put sure. that on the Coach Fury podcast page. That'll be like a bonus from Dave, a gift from Dave to you guys, the listeners. Sure. So take, sure. um, take us through it. Yeah, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to send me a reminder on that because oh hell yeah yeah um, I don't want to forget after I agreed to do it. <laughs> okay, so um, part of of the way that I teach is I'll take whatever subject we're looking at, and if 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 the student isn't super familiar with it. I try to find something that the student is very familiar with and relate the new material to that so that, that, that it's easier for those neurons to, to complete those circuits, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I talk about this in the book, I'm certain, and I'm fairly certain that I, that I um, put it on the, the accompanying video too that, uh, um, where I teach the bent press, the Taming the Bent Press book and video. Um, that's not a sales pitch. Although if you do buy it, I appreciate it. Um, (laughs) But one of the problems that I saw when I started kind of putting my collective experience together was that there was no clear definition of what a bent press is. And we were just talking about that. There's a lot of different ways. So I went to the um, USAWA, the United States All-Around Weightlifting Association, and um, they actually still have the bent press as a contested lift. They have, I want to say 200 and something lifts that, that are official contested lifts. Well, if they're, if it's contested, that means there has to be a standard. Mm -hmm. So I went and, um, harvested information from their standard and applied it to my teaching process. So first of all, if you're going to do it, then you have to know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, then you don't know if you did it right. Um, um, to put it in terms of things that people who are listening will probably be very familiar with, 
what is the difference between a hinge and a squat? And yes, you can see it and know, but do you, like, like our definition of good technique last time, do you have a, a verbal statement that describes this? And for me, a squat means that the angle of the hip and the angle of the knee change at the same rate to the same degree, both in the concentric and the eccentric of the movement. So if we start out standing straight up, we're fully extended knee, fully extended hip. Hips and knees flex to the same degree at the same time in a, in a, um, a well-done squat. Ankle flexion notwithstanding. We're talking about the hips and the knees here, right? Mm-hmm. So if at any point in the range of motion, let's say that the hip is at 60 degrees, the knee should also be at about 60 degrees for everything to go smoothly. And if that's happening, then you don't want, you don't get um, the knee forward rounded butt. You don't get the hips shooting up stripper squat, all of that kind of stuff happening. Those are timing issues if the range of motion is available. So I started I look at that and that's my snapshot. That's my description of the squat. Okay. So now what is a hinge? In a hinge, the knees move minimally, the hips move maximally, but if you add up the angle of each one, you come up with 180, just like a triangle, right? Yeah. So if the hips are bent at, say, 30 degrees, and the, or, or at 60 degrees, and the knees are bent at 30 degrees, then you got a much deeper bend in the hip than you do in the knee. That sort of defines a hinge, right? Yeah. So if, and, and if, if I demonstrate this, then it's very clear. So I, my thought was, what, if that defines the squat and the hinge, and that's our example, what defines a bent press? And what I came away with using some of the stuff from the um, USAWA is that um, I, I talked about this on a video I did the other day with the natural press. Pressing exists on a continuum. And if we start on one end with a military press, what we have is in a true, true, strict one-arm military press, everything is still except the weight and the arm that's attached to the weight. So you're standing at attention, military style, weights in a rack position, and you wind up in an overhead lockout and nothing moved but the arm to get the weight to go up and down, right? The body was still and the weight moved. If we go to the other end of that continuum on a bent press, the weight remains the same height off the ground and the body bends underneath it until the elbow is locked out and then you stand up. So there's our continuum and the side press lives exactly in the middle. And that's the one that rarely ever gets taught, but everyone resorts to when they want to try to do their, their beast tamer or their, 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 they're doing side presses and they've never trained side presses. And then they blow the shoulder out. Because they're, they're doing a heavy move that they've never done before, and it's a survival move. But that's a whole different story. Um, so if we define the bent press as the weight is racked to the side or behind the lifter, the hips bend until the, the arm is locked out straight, the spine remains straight, and then you stand up from there, what you see visually winds up being... Um, very similar to the description of the squat that I gave earlier. If we're at the top of that rack position and the elbow is, um, is kind of, if you're standing on a clock face, face in 12, your elbow should be behind you. If we're in the right, the right hands lifting the weight, the elbow should be behind you kind of in the direction of 
between four and five o'clock. Make sense? Yeah. It's a diagonal backwards rack or a, for lack of a better term to initiate that movement. What I'm going to have you do is a diagonal hip hinge that goes in that same direction. So you're going to push your butt, not straight back and not directly to the side. So not to six or three, but to four thirty. you're going to hinge your hips to four thirty. As you do this, the hip joint must flex. And as the hip joint flexes, the elbow must extend. And what I noticed for watching a whole bunch of people do this is when we, when we cleared up the problem of the hip flex and the elbow extend, that was the, the, the thing that tied everything all together. So just like in a squat, how the hips and knees flex and extend to the same degree at the same rate, in a bent press, the hip will flex and the elbow will extend in the opposite direction to the same degree at the same time. That's awesome. So if I'm standing in my, my bent press rack, uh, thank you for saying that. If I'm standing in my bent press rack and my elbow is flexed, I don't know what that would be. Um, 90 degrees. I'm looking at my elbow. 90 degrees would be there. So inside 90 degrees, say it's flexed that my, the relationship of my forearm to my upper arm is 45 degrees just for easy math. And my hip is flexed at about 135 degrees because I'm standing up straight as I can be and still using the hip as my column of support. As my hip hits 90 degrees, my elbow should extend into 90 degrees. And as my hip moves past 90 degrees toward 45, that elbow is straightening out. And then when we get down into that very last little bit where it's permissible, as we said earlier, to have that little bit of press out, a lot of times that's just finding the little spaces um, in between where you're able to like, like maybe instead of my, my hip going back at exactly four thirty, maybe it needs to go to four thirty and 19 seconds. And it gets to be yeah. this like game of precision in there. And that's where those tiny little, little bits come into play. And that's, that's a matter of just doing the practice and doing the consistency. But the, the takeaway there, there is the hip flexes as the elbow extends and they go at the same speed, to the same degree. And when you do that, your timing on your bent press is there. I, I love that you broke it out that way. Uh, folks, listeners that have, have practiced bent presses, that, that's the money right there. For some reason, you know, uh, I've always considered that they're, you know, you're going under and extending at the same time, that their matching rates is, I've never thought of it quite that way, but that is exactly what should be happening. And, and that's when the, you see people out of the smoothness of it, right? Yep. And yep. that last little bit of finding space is where you see the fight. You know, you see the yep. struggle to, to make the room. Uh, that is awesome. Well, hey. Now, I, I, I have to qualify that all of that is contingent on a good setup because every step builds off the, the step that preceded it. If your elbow is too far behind you or too far to the side, none of what I said matters. Plus, it's that vertical form, too. A lot of people will set mm -hmm. up, and they like to get in that big, dramatic hip tilt, right? Mm -hmm. they, they'll, they'll rotate forward, you know, or, mm -hmm. or around. But then that, that, that bell is the, the bell starting to rest on their shoulder as opposed to mm -hmm. vertical. Yeah, um, and, and, and the sequencing on it, to give you another bent press tip from there, the sequencing on that is there's three things that happen. Um, you have to, 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 to get into the bend. You have to have that rotation. And then you have to have the hip flexion. And then ultimately you have to have some knee flexion. 
And the timing on that is as I described it. If you try to do all three of those things at the same time, if you try to do any two of them at the same time, that's when you get in your own way and start to run into yourself. And you're like, I, I can't get in this position. And it's because you didn't sequence the position right. So the setup to get that elbow back in that sort of 430 position, that is the thoracic rotation. Yeah. And what, I, what I'll tell you at that point is if your hip's going to go back diagonally to 430, your head is going to go 180 degrees diagonally the other way to, what would that be, 1130? I think so, yeah. And then as you get deeper into it, the, the spine moves so that if, um, if, you had the, uh, if you had the Iron Man thing on your chest, the guy standing at 3 o'clock, it would be pointing directly at him. Yep. That's the so, that's the cue that I use that I know I got from I got from Ari Harris who got that from you. That sounds right. Yeah. 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 That's that, that's that's one that's been around for a long time. That's super useful, man. Uh, listeners, uh, kettlebell enthusiasts interested in the bench press that that is the one. But like, because <laughs> most people, it it is the it it is if you have the range of motion, it is the timing because people bring the bell down underneath them or try to press too soon uh-huh. uh, hey we've been on a while man dave you're you're the man uh let's thank you Wim Hof before we before we uh have to end this because uh this is you know i, I you're one of the i want to say like you and matt flaherty were probably the two uh and, and and john duquesne were the two people that uh i started becoming aware of who wim hoff what is and um mm-hmm. a little bit about the method i have not i have the book i have not read it yet um admittedly i i have to learn with not hating the cold, um, just emotionally, not regardless of any sort of training philosophy. Uh, it's just one of those things I've never enjoyed um, as a grown up. But if you, well, could- if, 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 if I can speak to that point, Wim Hof looked me in the eye and said, People think I love the cold. I hate the cold. I like palm trees, but I know <laughs> the cold is good for me. Yes. So can, can, you, can you let people know, um, like, 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 a, like a, a brief, who he is and, and how his work and your training under the Wim Hof method, what, what that's brought to your, um, your training. Sure. Um, and I'll start with, uh, with a, a little story about Flaherty though. Um, because we were at the dome. It might've been the last time that you and I worked together too at, at the dome at that particular dome. Anyway, uh, Matt Flaherty was there and he was having some trouble getting through his snatch test, just like from a conditioning standpoint. And I pulled him aside and took him through some Wim Hof breathing exercises and um, helped him to, uh, to get a different perspective on his breathing. And I don't remember if he passed the snatch test straight away after that or not, but um, I do remember that it was very beneficial for him. And, and if I'm, if I'm, messing up any of the details of that story, then I fully apologize for it. And Matt can come in and, and correct me on that. Um, but as far as I know, that was the first time he had heard about it prior to that. Um, my, the short version of it is a long time ago, um, in the early part of my RKC days, um, Steve Maxwell and Pavel were both talking about cold water dousing. And I'm like, Oh, what is, this i know nothing about this and it was essentially you take a couple of buckets and you fill them full of cold water ice water if it's cold outside leave them sitting outside until they get good and cold and then you dump them over your head and you 
you know, get wet in the cold and you breathe a little bit. And it was an old, um, homeopathic health practice that, um, allegedly if you felt the cold coming on and you did this, it would, it would squash that cold, which I found to be true. And I think it gives a mild fever response very quickly because of the shock of the cold is what mm-hmm. does it. But I don't really know in terms of that. So I had been doing that off and on because it gets hot here in the yeah. South and it's difficult to do a good proper cold water dousing when you go outside at six in the morning and it's already 92 degrees with 173,000% humidity. And you know, it's, you run water and the water's not even cold, you know? So, um, it was very haphazard for me with that. Um, but in the winter of 2013, it was particularly chilly here and it happened very early in the year so by october we were having very cold weather for tennessee that year and so i started playing around with the idea again and i would leave buckets out and i would go out and i would break the ice on them i would do this dousing thing around this same period of time was when my mother was in her final decline after having gone through chemo and and dealing with cancer and all this she was in her final decline and everyone knew it and she wasn't ever going to get better and so here i am dealing with that as you know losing a parent which i had no reference point for Uh um christmas that year um she had passed away a few weeks earlier and i was just trying to to understand what it meant now that I would never be able to call my mom again, you know, and it was first Christmas without mom. And so there's all of this emotional stuff that's going on was at my wife's parents' place. Christmas day, I was up late, just kind of throwing all that around in my head, flipping channels at probably like midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And there was a television show on that was one of those shows where they showcase people with these bizarre superhuman abilities. And I see Wim Hof on here. It's about the Iceman. So I start watching it. And there's this video of him um, doing all these crazy feats, like swimming however many meters, 80, 100 meters, whatever it is, under ice in a lake that's you know frozen enough that you could drive a truck out on it. And they cut holes in the ice. He swims underneath that. And they just all of these extreme feats of strength or of cold endurance. And so I immediately looked him up on the internet saw that there was this book called um, Becoming the Iceman. I ordered that off Amazon, saw that he had a website and an online course. I signed up for that. And then the following week when we got back home, I started practicing the breathing exercises and the gradual cold exposure and all that. Um, I did that for several years until last year in May, um, I went and trained with him at a workshop in uh, California and then um, was it like, no, it was two years ago. It was, uh, 2016, um, May of 2016. So it's been almost two years ago that I trained with him the first time. And then the way it was set up then, I'm not sure what the, the sequence is now you had to do, you could do the online course and that made you eligible for this particular weekend workshop. And that weekend workshop made you eligible for a week long instructor training. And so I went through that whole process. I had been doing consistently the, um, the online course, and um, trying to figure out a way to get to Poland to go train with him. Um, and then the, the instructor course came to the, um, to the U.S., and I was in the first group that did that. Um, that was um, election week 2016, which was wow. very strange. Um, 
part of part of the appeal to me initially though was hearing Wim's story where his wife uh was had some I want to say she was schizophrenic, but I may be wrong. She had some sort of um mental issues that made her suicidal and she one day uh, just kissed all her kids goodbye and killed herself. Oh. And and him talking about using the breathing in the cold as a way to, to uh, come to terms with that appealed to me as much as any extreme hardcore feat of human endurance did. Um, so it, it turns out that it, the breathing and the cold and the, the mindset stuff all go together to do this very powerful meditative thing. Um, all of those things combined, the, the science that's being done with Wim and the, the people within the, the, the Wim Hof Academy is pointing towards these environmental factors and our breathing and our mindset give us conscious control over parts of our bodies that were thought to be involuntary, like our autonomic nervous system, our, our, um, our immune system. We can consciously influence our immune system. And I had been playing around with some breathing stuff um, which I don't remember if I talked about this at the summit when you, the, you did. I, um, I, I missed part of it because Steve Millis and I had to fly back out. But that was um, you were at the at the summit of strength. You were talking about um, different breathing patterns and in relation to snatching. Yeah, yeah, and and so you can raise and lower your heart rate if you're sitting still just by the way you breathe. Well, by extension, if your heart rate so if you can take it from low to high and back down while you're sitting still just through breathing, then it stands to reason if it's very high, you can breathe in a particular way and quickly lower your heart rate, which is something I had been playing around with, with um, swings and snatches and all that. It's like, how high can I spike my heart rate? How long can I keep it there? And then when it's time to bring it back down, how quickly can I take it from say 165 to 120? Uh And and how quickly can I do that consciously breathing? Um, because the the missing aspect that I was seeing with breathing, um, and this is actually the kind of stuff that I'm going to be um, doing at the workshop in June that I'm doing here in Nashville, is um, we go and we do a high output set of swings or snatches or sprints or whatever. And then to recover, you just gasp for air until you feel better. That seemed very inefficient and like a lot was being left on the table for me, um, given that I had some experience with Qigong and some martial arts stuff. So I'm like, how can I consciously use my breath to control things or to influence things if I can't completely control them that are going on in my body that, that science tells me should be completely involuntary. Uh-huh. So, so I had that going on. And then when I saw what Wim was doing, it made, it made my understanding of that. It made me see the gap between my understanding of, of breathing to control bodily functions um, was like dumping a bucket of cold water on my head versus um, swimming under ice the way Wim was doing it. I saw that he had this knowledge and this experience on utilizing breath and mindset and and an ability to control parts of his of his nervous system. Um, so I immediately just said, "I want to learn what this guy has," and he's he is very forthcoming with it. He's very generous with it. Um, if there's any drawback to it, it's the simplicity puts it over your head so much. It's because it's like you just breathe and you breathe 
fully in and then you relax and let it go. Okay, what next? Just keep doing that for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And it it's one of those things that you really have to experience it to um to appreciate it. But um went through the instructor training and um have been doing workshops and stuff for a little over a year now. Um worked with a few people online doing that kind of stuff. The possibilities and the potential of the Wim Hof method and the way people are latching onto it remind me of the way people latched onto the kettlebell movement in 2002 yeah, when I I'll, first got into it. The, the, the experience of the workshops, the people that are there, the way the information is presented, the effect that it has on people where, where there's stuff that happened before I learned how to do this, and then there's stuff that happened after I learned how to do this. It's like, it's like defining moments, like graduating from school or getting married or having a child. There's, you remember events based on how profoundly this stuff affected. And the thing that I found being around all these people who were looking at this the same way and looking for the same stuff that I was looking for reminded me a great deal of that very first RKC experience that I, that I had, except no one was trying to punish anyone and no one was trying to have a pissing contest. And there was none of that, uh, that competitive side. It was all, where are you? Yeah. Where do you want to go? Let's, let's do it. Let's see if we can. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? So amazing. (laughs) I have never, I have never hugged so many nearly naked dudes in my life as I have that weekend. <laughs> and you know, it was, it was just, you just walk up to somebody and you make eye contact with them and you just hug each other for 30 or 40 seconds. And then you go on about your business and nothing needed to be said because everyone was understanding what was going on. It was truly, truly beautiful and very, very powerful. For, for, for listeners, like, so if you want to get a deeper info uh, on Wim Hof method, check out the mm-hmm. Joe Rogan podcast, mm-hmm. search, search it out. Wim's been on twice. And that, that was my more detailed exposure to him. Uh, no pun intended in terms of exposure. Um, okay. Really fascinated guy, fascinating guy. And again, you know, one of the things I sometimes get caught up is in, in training land, there'll be like this trend of all of a sudden videos where everyone starts posting a similar type of video, right? Oh my God. Everybody's an expert on breathing now. Yeah. You know, it's like breathing was one of it. And then, and, and for a little while it was like a specific type of press was part of it. And for a moment it was like everybody out in the cold and the, and you know, check me out in the snow. And I have to admit I was dismissive of it. But now that like time has mm-hmm. passed and I'm, get, I'm mm-hmm. getting exposed to more people that have been, you know, doing it longer. I'm like, ah, you know, there, this is something that I'm actually, you know, it, it, it's probably the, the third book in my rotation to get to um, mm-hmm. read next to start investing some time in it. Because I've had enough friends, people like yourself seeing, seeing real benefits from it mm-hmm. and in listening to Wim, it, it, it seems to make sense. And I'm not going to lie. I, I heard about him speaking and how he talked about trying to gain mastery of some of these, you know, elements of his, you know, autonomic nervous system. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, snake eyes from GI Joe used to be able to do that. I remember he pretended to be dead. I'm like, that's such a badass ninja thing to do. Right. So even just in that level of, you know, higher power ownership, Mm -hmm. um, I find fascinating. And then I don't like that. I hate the cold. I'm going to be honest. Like it's also something that like, I would like to deal with that. So if, mm-hmm. uh, Raj Law and Brian Patrick Murphy from MFF, like Raj is at the point where he doesn't wear a jacket at all anymore. 
Like the most I've ever seen him wear is a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Like he can mm-hmm. just adapt and deal with the cold no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so between them and you, I'm like, oh shit, there's something, there's something to this. Well, um, if we look at it from the point of view that, that of, of if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Um, we live by and large in an artificial environment where it can, it can be daylight or dark with the flip of a switch and rarely ever are we exposed to a temperature below 65 degrees Fahrenheit or above 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And when that happens, you see people start to complain about how it's either too hot or it's too cold. Well, it's because we are so magnificent at adapting to our, to our environment that if we spend 90 plus percent of our time in that narrow window of temperature, we don't need to be able to withstand cold or hot anymore. So what else is going on from an expression of genetics that is connected to those things? It's like, well, we're just going to power that part of this entire organism down because it's not needed and efficiency is the order of the day. And so we're not going to devote any biological energy to these processes that have to do with dealing with the cold because we never deal with the cold. Yeah. And what are the, what are those biological processes connected to? Well, everything because everything is connected in some form or fashion. So if I told told you if, if you came to me and told me that you get two colds every winter and you're down for a week one and you're down for 3 days with the other one and you would do anything in the world to not have to, you know, feel terrible and take the the drugs to to alleviate the symptoms. Okay, great. I can tell you how to not have that happen to you. Or if it does happen to you, it's not nearly as intense. How sit in this bucket of ice water is this tub full of ice water. Screw you. Right. I mean, that is, that is the initial response. People see cold water and they will freak out Yeah, because it is threatening on such a visceral uh, cellular level. Really? It, it is a, it is a threatening piece of the environment because it, it can kill you. People have died from the cold periodically. You know, I mean, you hear about it every year that somebody somewhere got stuck out somewhere in the, in the cold and they died. Yeah. You know, and so there's, it, it's a, it, an irrational fear that keeps us in a comfort zone. It's like the fear of being eaten by a shark, right? How rarely does that ever happen? But it's still a possibility. It, I mean, it affects people on that level. So what if we can dole the cold out in measured doses and get the benefits of it without having to go uh, do like Wim did and run a barefoot shorts only marathon 200 kilometers north of the Arctic Circle. What if we can just spend 90 seconds in a cold shower and get, you know, 75% of the health benefits that come along with that? Wouldn't that be worth exploring? Yeah. And the answer obviously is yes. Until you have someone who's like, I hate the cold. I'm not getting in the cold. I can't stand it. I'm not going to do it. Well, then stop complaining about all of the things that go along with that. Super true. Super true. Yeah. I, what would you say? So if someone can't make it to your course, I definitely want to mm-hmm. give you the, the moment to, you know, at, at the very end to uh, push mm-hmm. the course. But if someone can't make it, what, what's a, what's the best intro to it? Is, is it the book, The Iceman Cometh? Um it, 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 is it the, they have a, I know they have a, a is it a 10 week course online for, for there's, there's, yeah, there's a couple of um, online courses that are offered at the, um, the website, which is either wimhoffmethod.com or innerfire.nl. I don't have that memorized off the top of my head. Um, but if you, if you just search Wim Hof online course, I'm sure it'll take you to the right place. And I 
I should have had an affiliate link ready and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> but I don't. Um, well, this will go I, out in a week, so you have uh, this will go up on Monday. You have until Monday no. to get me an affiliate link. Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll let I'll let the 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 Wim Hof headquarters keep all the money on that one. Um, there was I haven't gone and looked for it because I haven't needed to see it for a while. There was a free um, intro series of videos available on the Wim Hof Method website that pretty well covers the overview of everything that the method is about without going into the extreme detail of, of some of the various different specific applications of breathing and, and that kind of stuff. I would start there. I would start with that free course. And then um, if you're, if you'd like to read, then yes, the book, um, um, is it the way of the Iceman? What's the one that Dragon Door published that they I, translated? I, I want to say that it's the Iceman Cometh, but I might be just, Iceman Cometh. I, I might be confusing that with like the Broadway play too. Yeah, um, um, I'm going to that, that, that right one is now. good. And that Scott Carney wrote a book called That Which Does Not Kill Us, which is his personal account of training with Wim. And his his mission in writing that book was to go and expose Wim as a fraud, and he came away as a certified instructor. <laughs> that's fantastic it's a very very good read scott's a good guy um um so i would start there um if you can make it to a workshop with an instructor then that's awesome do it the workshop that i'm doing in june if anybody's on the fence and they're afraid of the cold i am not planning any cold exposure for that it's only going to be how i apply the wim hof method breathing exercises to kettlebell lifting and kettlebell workouts the way that i use them um, both in terms of sustained strength or extreme endurance, which is the kind of stuff. I've got a female client that last week, week before last, um, did swings with a 16-kilo kettlebell for 30 minutes without putting it down. It's amazing. And she did, uh, I think, 1,114 reps. And that's, that's not an outlier thing. Anyone who comes to me that says they want to pursue that, we get them to that point. To where they can do 20 or 30 minutes without putting it down hundreds and hundreds of reps um what's the date of the workshop i'll put it back up again on this podcast episode it's on the last it one, is, part one it is june 9th and it's in in nashville and i've got room for i think six or seven more people it's there's still plenty of room Folks, if uh, listeners, if if you're if, if anything we've been talking about interests you, I, I would try to make it out to this one. Unfortunately, I'm actually going to be teaching an original strength course in Connecticut that day. Um, Dave, if you haven't got it, is a wealth of knowledge uh, it, on many areas, including these. And he is somebody like when we were talking about like, well, what do I put down for your, you know, um, job titles for lack of a better phrase? Like Dave's Dave's. Uh, somewhat of a legend in the kettlebell field and then uh, throw the sun on the breathing. Nah, it's true, man. Like you're known, you are the bent press guy. I don't think there's anybody that would say that you're not the bent press guy or that wasn't influenced by you in some way, at least in the early days of the RKC and SFG and strength matters. Like you, 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 you he, he has this level of expertise on top of obviously, you know, he's a genuine dude. You're getting to hear him uh, now longer than anybody else that's been on this show. Uh, and I feel like we could do another hour, but we're going to bring you back later on, later on down the line after this one. But yeah, yeah, let's out, do that. Well, check, thank you, thank you for saying all that. No, please, and I, and and I mean it. And again, it's like, you know, it, it, it's interesting how uh, you know we mentioned this on the first episode. We weren't necessarily fast friends, so I feel like the, the connection that's grown between us is almost uh, 
you know, I don't want this to sound creepy growing between us, but like, you know, it's like a, it, it, it's weighted over time, right? It wasn't just like a, a thing. Sure. And, and, and I appreciate that. So I'd also say this, oh, listeners, you know, I know Dave, you know, Dave's mentioned his select number of online train, training things. Like he has some specific expertises in here that you're not going to find like at your local gym <laughs> within your local state. Right, the state. Right. So, also feel free, like, reach out to him for that, because you know we sure. mentioned masterminds, but let's also talk about coaches and enthusiasts needs coaches. We all absolutely, and we all need mentors. And I've been very fortunate for the people that have you know filled that role for me. And you know it changes now and then because you want to pick up something new. So, please reach out to Dave about that. Um, hey, Dave, uh, before we say goodbye, what yes. is uh, the best way for people to reach you? Um. Wow, what is the best way for people to reach me? Um, I'm on all the social medias. Um, so if you want Instagram and Twitter or just at Iron Tamer, my Facebook is Iron Tamer Dave Whitley. That's my professional page. Um, I, I can't bring myself to call it a fan page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's my professional page. And um, yeah, those are probably the easiest ways to reach me. Um, if you're... Side note, if you're interested in having me come and do a speaking strongman performance thing at your event, if you go to irontamer.com, there's a form on there that you can fill out a request availability. Um, that goes to a separate place, and um, that takes top priority. So if, if you hit me up on social media and I don't get back to you for a few days, then, then there's that. But if you want me to come and, and speak at your event or break stuff at your party or whatever, I will get back to you almost immediately with that. <laughs> break stuff at your party. That's like a great like commercial tagline. I'll come and break stuff at your party. <laughs> that's, um, that's what I do. <laughs> hey, uh, Dave, thank you so much, man. Thank well, you. Time has flown. I'm going to have to go walk the pup and uh, get ready for class. One more time. Can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Hey, guys. This is Iron Tamer Dave Whitley telling you to die mighty. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and the listeners. Hey, listeners, thank you for being you. We've got a very different episode. Well, actually, not so different. Um, We're going to talk about the first almost centrally, totally themed Godzilla episode next. So things are changing up. So. Keep an eye out for that. I'm going to have a fellow Godzilla collector on, and you'll probably get a nice inside look into why the fuck does Fury care about Godzilla this much? Um, by the way, by the way, if I can <laughs> Kanye you on that, I'm going to let Please. you finish. But that 80-kilo kettlebell that's in my gym that I told you about. It's the Godzilla, I, right? It's Godzilla, King of Monsters. <laughs> did you name that? I did. That's amazing because I've heard other people refer to it. And I, I, I feel like you were the first person I've seen do that. That's awesome. I, as, as far as I know, I am. So I don't want to, you know, claim, uh, claim ownership on that. But as far as I know, I am. Um, also, interesting bit of trivia. Is, do you know how the 48 kilo got the name The Beast? I do not. Okay. Way back when, when, um, when the 48 kilo was first introduced as a size available and from dragon door as a kettlebell john duquesne went on the old old um dragon door form and made the post new from dragon door 48 kilo kettlebell is now available and that just happened to be post number 666 from john duquesne (laughs) that's amazing and so someone i don't know who it was said you have to call this the beast. 
That's amazing. I wish that I was the person that said that, but yeah, that happened. That's amazing. Now, what I never understood was this. The 40K is the bulldog, but the 44 never got a name. Well, our, our mutual friend Dustin Ripito dubbed that the wannabeast. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And that seems like such a Dustin thing to say. Yeah. Uh, let's actually like take a, a serious moment. Then you mentioned Dustin and send some love and positive vibes to yes. Dustin's Dustin's family. Uh, I'm going to post a link up here. Dustin's dealing with some severe liver, um, kidney. Ki- kidney, sorry, kidney issues that he's been able to you know really handle through nutrition and training over the years. But it's catching up with them. So I'm going to post a link yeah. there for the, if anybody might be able to help the Ripitos out. Yeah, um, and, and, to, and to understand how serious it is, the man needs a kidney, and he's yeah, looking. Like, for a donor that's that's where we are yeah and 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 i just want to put a word out because dustin there there are certain people like so dave and i you know our friendship's grown over time and that's totally one way dustin and kenzie are two people that are immediately likable and and, you know like literally i was there for like a two and a half day weekend and i've never gotten back down there but we've talked about doing courses down there we've talked about me just bringing the, the, the wife out there like they're just amazing people and uh they are they're they're going through a struggle and i'm going to put a link up so i want you guys please take a moment if you like this podcast i I always ask for people to review the show even though nobody does but if you're going to review the show skip reviewing the show and click the link there instead and see if there's anything you might be able to do or know somebody that you can help with but let's let's send some love um to dustin and kenzie uh, just really solid people yes. in one of the most fun locations I've ever had a training event in. Like there's his, his spot yep. is just awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you for bringing that up. And I, I love hearing these old stories of the RKC cause I feel like I've been in it for a while, but you've been in it way longer than me. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Uh, Dave, have an awesome week, man. And listeners until the episode, the next one, thanks for listening. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by yours truly, Steve, Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc.com for band, album, tour, and merchandise information. And the artwork is created by Glenn Murrieta. Visit glennmurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or on Instagram, at Glenn Murrieta. Thanks, everyone.